Chapter Eighteen of Tristram Shandy, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shalifa Mullichem. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume One, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter Eighteen. As a point was at night agreed, or rather determined, that my mother should lie in of me in the country, she took her measures accordingly, for which purpose, when she was three days or thereabouts gone with child, she began to cast her eyes upon the midwife, whom you have so often heard me mention, and before the week was well got round, as a famous Dr. Manningham was not to be had, she had come to a final determination in her mind notwithstanding there was a scientific operator within so near a call as eight miles of us and who moreover had expressly wrote at five shillings book upon the subject of midwifery in which he had exposed not only the blunders of the sisterhood itself but had likewise superadded many curious improvements for the quicker extraction of the feeders and crossbursts and some other cases of danger which belay us in getting into the world Notwithstanding all this, my mother, I say, was absolutely determined to trust her life and mine with it, into no soul's hand but this old woman's only. Now, this I like, when we cannot get at the very thing we wish, never to take up with the next best in degree to it. No, that's pitiful beyond description. It is no more than a week from this very day, in which I am now writing this book, for the edification of the world which is March ninth, seventeen fifty nine, said my dear dear Jenny, observing I looked a little grave, as she stood cheapening a silk of five and twenty shillings a yard, told the mercy she was sorry she had given him so much trouble, and immediately went and bought herself a yard white stuff of ten pence a yard. Tis a duplication of one and the same greatness of soul. Only what lessened the honour of it somewhat in my mother's case was that she could not heroin it into so violent and hazardous an extreme as one in her situation might have wished, because the old midwife had really some little claim to be depended upon, as much at least as success could give her, having in the course of a practice of near twenty years in the parish, brought every mother's son of them into the world, without any one slip or accident which could fairly be laid to her account. These facts— though they had their weight, yet did not altogether satisfy some few scruples and uneasinesses which hung upon my father's spirits in relation to this choice. To say nothing of the natural workings of humanity and justice, or of the yearnings of parental and connubial love, all which prompted him to leave as little to hazard as possible in a case of this kind, he felt himself concerned in a particular manner that all should go right in the present case, from the accumulated sorrow he lay open to, should any evil betide his wife and child in lying in at Shandy Hall. He knew the world judged by events, and would add to his afflictions in such a misfortune by loading him with the whole blame of it. Alas, a day! That Mrs. Shandy, poor gentlewoman, had but her wish in going up to town just to lie in and come down again, which, they say, she begged and prayed for upon her bare knees— and which, in my opinion, considering the fortune which Mr. Shandy got with her, 
was no such mighty matter to have complied with. The lady and her babe might both of them have been alive at this hour. This exclamation my father knew was unanswerable, and yet it was not merely to shelter himself, nor was it altogether for the care of his offspring and wife that he seemed so extremely anxious about this point. My father had extensive views of things, and stood, moreover, as he thought, deeply concerned in it for the public good, from the dread he entertained of the bad uses an ill-fated instance might be put to. He was very sensible that all political writers upon the subject had unanimously agreed and lamented, from the beginning of Queen Elizabeth's reign down to his own time, that the current of men and money towards the metropolis, upon one frivolous errand or another, set in so strong as to become dangerous to our civil rights, though, by the by, a current was not the image he took most delight in. A distemper was here his favourite metaphor, and he would run it down into a perfect allegory, by maintaining it was identically the same in the body national as in the body natural, where the blood and spirits were driven up into the head faster than they could find their ways down. A stoppage of circulation must ensue, which was death in both cases. There was little danger, he would say, of losing our liberties by French politics or French invasions, nor was he so much in pain of a consumption from the mass of corrupted matter and ulcerated humours in our constitution, which he hoped was not so bad as it was imagined, but he verily feared that in some violent push we should go off all at once in a state apoplexy, and then he would say, The Lord have mercy upon us all. My father was never able to give the history of this distemper, without the remedy along with it. Was I an absolute prince? he would say, pulling up his breeches with both his hands as he rose from his armchair. I would appoint able judges at every avenue of my metropolis, who should take cognizance of every fool's business who came there, and if, upon a fair and candid hearing, it appeared not of weight sufficient to leave his own home, and come up back and baggage, with his wife and children, farmers, sons, etc., etc., at his backside, they should all be sent back, from constable to constable, like vagrants as they were, to the place of their legal settlements. By this means I shall take care that my metropolis tottered not through its own weight, that it had been no longer too big for the body, that the extremes now wasted and pined in be restored to their due share of nourishment, and regain with it the natural strength and beauty. I would effectually provide that the meadows and cornfields of my dominions should laugh and sing, that good cheer and hospitality flourish once more, and that such weight and influence be put thereby into the hands of the squirrelity of my kingdom, I should counterpoise what I perceive my nobility are now taking from them. Why are they so few palaces and gentlemen's seats? he would ask with some emotion as he walked across the room, throughout so many delicious provinces in France. Whence is it that a few remaining chateaux amongst them are so dismantled, so unfurnished, and in so ruinous and desolate a condition? Because, sir, he would say, in that kingdom no man has any country interest to support. The little interest of any kind which any man has anywhere in it 
is concentrated in the court and the looks of the grand monarch by the sunshine of whose countenance or the clouds which pass across it every frenchman lives or dies another political reason which prompted my father so strongly to guard against the least evil accident in my mother's lying in in the country was that any such instance would infallibly throw a balance of power too great already into the weaker vessels of the gentry in his own or higher stations which with the many other usurped rights which that part of the constitution was hourly establishing would in the end prove fatal to the monarchical system or domestic government established in the first creation of things by god at this point he was entirely of sir robert filmer's opinion that the plans and institution of the greatest monarchies in the eastern parts of the world were originally all stolen from that admirable pattern and prototype of this household and paternal power which for a century he said and more had gradually been degenerating away into a mixed government the form of which however desirable in great combinations of the species was very troublesome in small ones and seldom produced anything that he saw but sorrow and confusion for all these reasons private and public put together my father was for having the man midwife by all means my mother by no means my father begged and entreated she would for once recede from her prerogative in this matter and suffer him to choose for her my mother on the contrary insisted upon her privilege in this matter to choose for herself and have no mortal's help but the old woman's what could my father do he was almost at his wit's end talked it over with her in all moods placed his arguments in all lights argued the matter with her like a christian like a heathen like a husband like a father like a patriot like a man my mother answered everything only like a woman which was a little hard upon her for as she could not assume and fight it out behind such a variety of characters it was no fair match to seven to one what could my mother do she had the advantage otherwise she had been certainly overpowered of a small reinforcement of chagrin personal at the bottom which bore her up and enabled her to dispute the affair with my father with so equal an advantage that both sides sung te deum in a word my mother was to have the old woman and the operator was to have license to drink a bottle of wine with my father and my uncle toby shandy in the back parlour for which he was to be paid five guineas i must beg leave before i finish this chapter to enter a caveat in the breast of my fair reader and it is this not to take it absolutely for granted from an unguarded word or two which i have dropped in it that i am a married man i own the tender appellation of my dear dear jenny with some other strokes of conjugal knowledge interspersed here and there might naturally enough have misled the most candid judge in the world into such a determination against me all i plead for in this case madam is strict justice and that you do so much of it to me as well as to yourself as not to prejudge or receive such an impression of me till you had better evidence than i am positive at present can be produced against me not that i can be so vain or unreasonable madam as to desire you should therefore think 
that my dear dear jenny is my kept mistress no that would be flattering my character in the other extreme and giving it an air of freedom which perhaps it has no kind of right to all i contend for is the utter impossibility for some volumes that you or the most penetrating spirit upon earth should know how this matter really stands it is not impossible but that my dear dear jenny tender as the appellation is may be my child consider i was born in the year eighteen nor is there anything unnatural or extravagant in this supposition that my dear jenny may be my friend friend my friend surely madam as friendship between the two sexes may subsist and be supported without fie mrs shandy without anything madam but that tender and delicious sentiment whichever mixes in friendship where there is a difference of sex let me entreat you to study the pure and sentimental parts of the best french romances it will really madam astonish you to see with what a variety of chaste expressions this delicious sentiment which i have the honour to speak of is dressed out End of chapter eighteen